7 Investing Podcast, where it is our mission to empower you to invest in your future. I'm 7 Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson, and I think I speak for several of us when I say that 2022 has been a challenging year for the stock market. But even though several stocks have sold off, it could be a stock picker's market right now, and there are hidden gems that are there for investors that want to take advantage of them. I'm excited to find some of those and take a closer look at some of those stocks with my guests for the podcast today. They are the, the hosts of Chit Chat Money. It's Brett Schaefer and Ryan Henderson. Brett and Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the 7 Investing Podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Always a pleasure as well. Also, maybe this is a great time to shamelessly plug that if you are a listener to 7 Investing but haven't subscribed yet, feel free to use our code MONEY. MONEY, yeah. If you use our code MONEY, what is it? $100 off? Uh, the annual subscription. So if you're thinking of signing up for 7investing, uh, we'll do the advertisement for your service, Simon. Uh, <laughs> use code money, get $100 off. But uh, now it, that helps the, out, it helps out all of us if, uh, if, it, if you subscribe. Now but that the plug is out of the way, though. Glad to be back. Uh, should have some fun discussion today. We're going to do, what, head-to-head uh, competition, but I'll let you introduce it, Simon. We sure are. You guys make this so easy. We should have you on the podcast every time. appreciate money for 25% off the annual rate, $100 off of our $400 rate for that. We are going to do a head-to-head stock competition. We've kind of said, you know, how can we make this a little bit fun and look at a bunch of stocks in the same episode? Uh, you know, my colleague Matt Cochran chatted with Anirban Mahanti and Alex Morris on a previous podcast we called Record Rebound. We're going to do something similar. We're going to have kind of subcategories of stocks we're going to match up head-to-head. And I'm going to ask Brett and Ryan which of them they like the most. Are, gentlemen, are you ready to begin the thematic game of stock picking head-to-head? Yeah, we yeah. sure are. Uh, only uh, you got to promise, though, to have some uh, takes on some of these as well. Uh, uh, we're gonna flip the, we'll flip the question on you after we answer. Fair enough. Fair enough, Brett. I will jump in with my thoughts as well. The first one is going to be, let's look at the most beaten down stocks in the market. Let's look at stocks in this theme that are down 90% from their highs. And see if, the, if we like either of these and head-to-head comparison, which one we like more. The two contenders in this bracket are Peloton and Upstart. Let's look at Peloton first. This is a maker of home fitness equipment, really one of the darlings during COVID, but certainly has sold off recently. Which one of you would like to take a look at this one? Yeah, I mean, I can maybe introduce it. Um, if I'm looking at the chart here, over the last year, down 91%. So, I mean, it's just gotten beaten down terribly. The... And I think this might tease well one I'd pick here. The big issue is the hardware sales, the equipment sales. Um, they had the inventory glut. They they overexpanded without the demand that was going to come through. They basically looked at COVID, um, the demand that kind of surged during COVID. I don't know what the demand was up 400, 500% from usual. And they extrapolated that to saying that was going to continue forever. And it didn't once the pandemic kind of subsided in the United States. Now we're seeing that hangover. They had the inventory glut. They've had to discount prices, although they've kind of discounted and raised prices um, periodically that things got so bad that the founder had to leave and actually left the board uh, of directors. They brought in Barry McCarthy, uh, who was the ex-CFO of Netflix and Spotify, who has a great track record of building subscription businesses. And that kind of leads me to the really the only reason I think me or any other investors attracted to Peloton at the moment, and is that subscription revenue? It's kind of held up. Um, I can get some maybe numbers out there, but you know, Ryan, any other thoughts on Peloton? Um, is is there any dip worth buying here, as we compare it to Upstart? Well, I think maybe something that's worth 
mentioning, the theme here is stocks down more than 90% from their highs. So obviously think, things went bad. Yeah. yeah. If, if a stock is down more than 90%, there's certain drawdowns where it was overvaluation. But I think if it's more than 90%, something went wrong. It's not purely just overvaluation. So in Peloton's case, there was, I think, several things that went wrong. Um, and I do think Barry McCarthy's actually done a decent job. We haven't seen it really reflected in the financials yet, but making what looks like the right decisions to make this more of a software business. I know they just basically took steps to outsource their uh, – when – I'm, what was his name? Uh, the old CEO. Foley. Uh, yeah, John Foley. John yep. Foley. When, when he was in charge, they, they took a lot of – they really kind of wanted to make this a vertically integrated business to control all of like the manufacturing and the distribution. You've seen the Peloton vans out there. Yeah. Barry McCarthy's basically said, we're going back to outsourcing. We're focusing on what we do best, which is that subscription side and the actual connected fitness side. I think if he can – if anyone could probably right-size it, I think it's Barry McCarthy. Um, and I do – it's still to me, even though they might not have quite as many rides per month as they did when COVID – at sort of the heart of COVID, there's still this cult-like following around the classes. People still really enjoy the classes. Um, so I, I think there is a business to salvage here. They just have to get rid – they have to become as much of a software business as they possibly can. Yeah. I agree with all those. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the new rowing machine, though? It's tough. A rowing's has here. Here's the thing: Peloton's class base, right? And that's kind of the most important part. Is rowing ha- have any success? You know, bike classes, spin class have been very successful, and they kind of you know brought that to the say the internet. Um, rowing ha- hasn't really taken off, so I, I worry a bit that it's more of just if it's a rowing machine. Yeah, it's a nice one, but it's going to be more like uh, oh gosh, all the other you know, equipment makers in the past and doesn't have that connected uh, advantage. However, we'll see. Um, so I'm a little bit more pessimistic on, say, the rowers and the treadmills and stuff like that. Um, Simon, any thoughts on, on this one? They're all great points. I really love the point that you made, uh, Ryan, about, you know, when something goes down 90%, it's a reset. Uh, something was either wrong or it was completely overvalued. And I think that that is certainly the case with, uh, with Peloton. Peloton was a COVID darling. Everyone thought that those hardware sales were going to shoot through the roof, and uh, and they didn't. You know, it, it said it's not, a, it's not a COVID stock. It's not a COVID stock. Yeah, maybe it was a COVID stock. And also, at the end of the day, I think you also have a cap of how much you can charge for these, especially if it's a subscription, uh, like you mentioned in Brett. At some point, consumers are just going to say, okay, if I don't want to buy the treadmill and uh, the rower and every other new product that they introduce, I'm just going to spend the 40 bucks a month to go to my gym that has all that stuff anyway. Uh, time is still a premium for every people. So I think there's a, there's a cap on the market. I agree with, with basically what you guys said uh, in terms of the reset. And, and maybe it was time for a, a new leadership change. I know they hired McKinsey to kind of come in there and tell them, you know, how they're going to trim some of the fat. Uh, no pun intended on that one. But, you know, from a management perspective, um, this certainly looks like it is a turnaround story now. Let's look at the other one. You know, if, if we're going to call Peloton a COVID stock, uh, maybe we talk about Upstart as a macroeconomic stock. This is one that also has fallen significantly from a high of over $400 in October of 2021 last year, uh, only around $22 today. So it's down, you know, that, that's about a 95% fall from its highs, guys. What's going on with Upstart right now? Yeah, I mean, that 95%, that is that is just a tough fall. I Look, 
I'm going to be honest, I don't follow Upstart closely, but I do think, as opposed to maybe some other people, I, I generally know what they're trying to do um, as a business. I don't know the nitty-gritty. I know they have their proprietary you know, uh, stuff they like to talk about, the machine learning models, the AI models, to bring uh, credit-based lending to uh, more of the population, expand it outside of the credit score. And the interesting thing about Upstart is that Yes, they may have guided higher than what they originally thought on the year, but it doesn't seem to me that there was any execution. Like, like you know, Peloton had really bad execution. They made some bad decisions, and they got too much inventory, and they basically over-extrapolated what their demand would be. Upstart did that a little bit, but it's not like it was because... It was all just kind of macro that that flows through in here. And, yeah, you know... The stock's probably down for a reason because they got it lower and the growth's not going to be as strong as it was. But, And, you know, we'll, we'll see how their credit models do in a recession, but it just seems to me like there wasn't as much of a lack of execution. It's just really, really bad macro effects. And on top of that, this specific type of stock, new IPO, um, fast-growing, it is profitable, which is kind of, you know, you, you, it gets thrown into the unprofitable bucket, but... It, Let's say it is profitable, but it gets grouped in with a lot of the unprofitable companies. That specific type of stock has gotten absolutely hammered in 2022. I got to be honest, I don't invest in financials, but Upstart, it, I don't know why it's down 95%. Uh, maybe that can spur a discussion with uh, with you guys, um, but I, it's a little perplexing to me why the stock has fallen so much. Makes it, a lot of sense. Ron, anything you want to add to that? I think he, uh, I think Brett makes a good point there that a lot of this was kind of out of their control. And if I, I don't know if you could have done anything differently from management's perspective, what I guess did ultimately hurt the stock and investors was that, and I think Anirban has talked about this as well, was guidance was too aggressive. This is a business, so much was out of their control that like, it, it's a business that's really, really hard to guide for because you're so susceptible to the macro conditions that, I don't know, maybe maybe don't, maybe the guidance wasn't necessary and that maybe that's what drove, because this was one I think that now we, now we can certainly say got overvalued, especially since we can look at the results that have come since, uh, since it kind of got to its premium valuation. So, but that was probably a byproduct of the guidance. And so if if everything was the same, maybe they would have hit that guidance. But that was probably the only thing I can think. Oh, a misstep, is, yeah. Is yeah. A misstep on, on management's part. Perhaps now there's a situation where maybe they're overstaffed, Just, but that's not really their fault because they kind of have to uh, – it's kind of the same thing that Shopify went through where you, you take a bet on whether or not this is going to continue and you either hire or – um, you you don't you're unable to service a lot of the customers and it seems like they if if I remember correctly from Dave Gerard's interview um, that he, he did a podcast a while back he talked about how much they had to hire recently I wonder if potentially that comes back to bite them but I financials I tend to veer away from but I'm looking at the chart right now and it's bombed out. It's really. Are you talking about the stock chart? Or? There's still. I mean, yeah. I'm. I'm looking at revenue right oh, now. Gotcha, gotcha. E even after what seems like a really precarious spot to be in, versus their 2020 results, they're generating 
three times the revenue that they were on a quarterly basis. Now, let me, let me give a note here. Years ago. Yeah, I said they were profitable. Last quarter, they were not profitable, but I was kind of looking at uh, the 12-month numbers. Just to be clear for anyone that's confused, uh, they give you good notes on that in their, um, gosh, uh, investor presentation. Now, the, when I look at, again, I don't know, I don't follow this name too closely, but when you look at the numbers on kind of their core KPIs, a lot of stuff looks solid. Uh, the bank and credit union partners have continued to grow at a really, really strong level. And then if we look at their expansion into the auto opportunity, um, and this is just going off their investor presentations, but the number of dealers they're at is expanding quite a bit as well. And that's just getting started, and that opportunity seems large. So I, guess I don't know. Is there, I, think, I think listeners might know uh, what like our choice would be head to head here. There's a little bit, you know, to worry about with Upstart, but I think Upstart's in a much better position than, uh, than Peloton. Simon, any, any thoughts on here? I don't know if you know these two companies uh, uh, well or not. Quite well, and, I, and thank you for mentioning okay. Nirbhan too. You know, our, our very own Nirbhan Mahanti at Seven Investing uh, Lead Advisor is a big fan of this company as well. I, I certainly agree. It's interesting to see uh, what these ex-Google executives are able to make of this financial services platform. Right. They're exposed to things that they haven't been exposed to when they were at Google. And now they've kind of got to say, okay, yes, this is a cyclical nature to lending, uh, to people, you know, borrowing money or not borrowing money when interest rates go up. And we are certainly in a, in a environment that is not very conducive now, certainly not as conducive to lending, to consumer lending as it was in 2020 and 2021 when interest rates were very low and people were borrowing money for all sorts of things. Algorithms have held up well. Uh, I think the, the management decisions is a great point that you guys bring up. There's been kind of both sides of that coin on whether or not Dave Girard is making the right calls, uh, but he's not necessarily making the wrong calls, uh, at least in terms of being a very profitable business and getting plenty of people to work with him. Okay, yeah, so the last thing, or sorry, last thing I'd add on Upstart is on the flip side, you know, we talk about how a recession or a deteriorating credit environment could hurt the company. It's also a nice test. So if their, their stuff holds up, their algorithms hold up compared to the FICO score and stuff like that, you know, that c it could be, a, I don't know. It's where, uh, it's validation. It, it's validation. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan, uh, yeah. for the, for their algorithms. Yep. Okay. And now I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Let's do a score for each of these companies just to have some fun with it here. Again, we're going off script and I'm, this is totally on the spot. Okay. So don't hold Brett or Ryan to the numbers that they give. But if one is the worst sell, where you're absolutely getting rid of this company and selling it as quickly as possible. 10 is the strongest buy. We're going out and you're buying shares right after we record this podcast. Uh, again, one to 10 scale. Where is Peloton and where is Upstart on, on that scale of one to 10? Brett, how about, uh, how about Pe uh, Peloton first for you? One to 10, where are we on that one? Okay, and we're going to make a rule, no sevens, uh, because seven is kind of the cop-out <laughs> answer. I, for, Pel yeah, for Peloton, I am going to say... Four. It's not. I gotta see some progress here. There is a. There is bankruptcy risk at play, and I think that's just. It just adds a lot more risk than someone like Upstart, who I might give a higher score to. Ryan. Yeah, I'd probably go. I'm not. I think maybe I'm just like following the crowd here, given what, what the stocks have done. But I'd say Peloton's a three for me, and and Upstart's probably a four. I just don't have enough confidence yet. I, if I were gonna bet on financials, I think I would really skew towards something, someone that's been around for a long time, just to kind of err on the side of caution. Yeah. And I guess for my upstart pick, I would, given where the price is at, I might put it a little higher, maybe at the six range. It's not, again, it's outside of where I like to invest, but 
I think the opportunity there, like if they're right, there there's a ton of opportunity. These prices, again, like Simon said, no recommendation. We don't follow the, the company extremely well, but it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. I think we might be eating our words here soon on both those. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's the fun. Like I said, I am putting you on the spot. And of course, that's harder than you know it, it, than it sounds when you're listening to the podcast. But it sounds like with a five average score for Upstart, a three and a half average score for Peloton, it sounds like Upstart is the winner of the first matchup between the two of those. Any, any final thoughts on that first matchup? I think I, I would I would agree. I think Upstart's the the winner for me. I, I don't think I'm buying either right now, but Upstart. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say no called strikes, so I think I'll let both those <laughs> pitches go by for now. Fair enough. Well, we've got two more matchups we're going to get to in just a minute. I do want to take a real quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is Zach's Investment Research. Uh, Okay, let's take a moment to consider the times that we're in right now. The current economic climate has people wondering, when will this ever end? There's record high gas prices, volatility in the markets, inflation, and ongoing disruptions in in the supply chain. Luckily, investors like you have Zach's Investment Research, which provides in-depth financial data and expert analysis to help you make more strategic investment decisions. The Fed is doing all that it can to cool down inflation, and stocks have already started to respond. When the market is gripped in pessimism, Zach's provides the invaluable resources that investors need to capitalize on volatility and to buy stocks when they're selling for low prices. They'll also help you spot your losers so you'll know which stocks to avoid or eliminate from your portfolio. Experts know market volatility unearths great opportunities, and current conditions have done just that. So to provide value for our listeners, Zaxx is providing the opportunity to download their report, Five Stocks Set to Double, for absolutely free and with no obligation. Their experts are reviewing the top five stocks with the best chance of gaining 100% or more within the next 12 months. Imagine how that could affect your portfolio or retirement savings. Uh, Going off script for a minute, I have looked at those five stocks personally, I liked several of them uh, and actually own several of them as well. So an endorsement from me on this list. I think it's a very strong list. But remember to fight inflation and download your free report at www.zax.com slash 7investingpodcast. That's www.zacks.com, number 7 investing podcast. And also a reminder that if you would like to sponsor an upcoming episode of our 7 Investing Podcast please email us at info at seveninvesting.com. Uh, guys, that's my best game show voice and best advertising voice. Let's get back to the game show part of this now. Uh, the second matchup we have, we're calling it Fallen Pandemic Winners. Ryan, I like your, your description. This is the hangover stocks. These are the companies that we like, and it's still got some pretty solid business fundamentals, but uh, they've certainly got whacked during this sell-off here. The matchup for this one is Roku versus Shopify. Uh, Brett, do you want to start with an, an overview of Roku and tell us a little bit about that company? Yeah, sure. I think Roku, uh, how, do, how should we start with this one? They sell hardware and they also have a software platform where people can access their connected TV apps. So what does that mean? They sell either TVs through partnerships with other TV manufacturers or little uh, things that you plug into your TV that gets you access to the Roku platform and the Roku platform is can I call it, it, it they sort of copy the app based interface of a mobile phone but put it onto a TV and try to make it very seamless to access your apps like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu and the thousands of other smaller apps out there um, and the way they make money is either through revenue share agreements with subscription deals, advertising share agreements uh, with some of the companies that have apps on there running their own advertisements on their own streaming channel called the Roku channel, and then other smaller ancillary things 
Now, they also make money, I guess, selling the hardware, but they sell that at cost. And actually, that's kind of maybe a negative Ryan could hit on is the negative gross margins that they've had to sell some of the hardware on recently. Um, for reference, I think they have about 63 million active accounts with the majority of them in the United States, but they also have been taking good market share in Canada and Mexico and are trying to expand internationally, mainly in Latin America and Europe. But uh, only the only really success stories they've seen so far are Mexico and Canada. And the U.S. And the U.S. Obviously, they have a very large market share in the U.S. Um, the thought, I guess, was that during the pandemic, you know, we've seen the acceleration of the transition to connected TV. Roku's active accounts were growing really, really quickly. And the connected TV advertising revenue accelerated a ton. And they were also able to sell a lot of the dongles and uh, TVs and all, all that good stuff or the TV partnership, partnership agreements at low cost. But now with supply chain woes, the cost of the hardware that they're trying to sell is just totally inflated. And there really have been only... Historically, they've tried to sell those basically without trying to make money on them. They're just trying to acquire customers for as cheap as possible. But that has kind of turned into a headwind because this stuff has gotten really expensive just because of, uh, you know, inflation, commodity costs, whatever. And that's hurt their revenue and gross profit growth. And on top of that, we've seen a slowdown in advertising connected TV and potentially a lack of execution from the company on their, say, Oh, their goal or their long-term trajectory of how they're trying to build a connected TV advertising company. Ryan, is there anything you want to add there uh, before we talk about what we like and maybe dislike about Roku right now? I guess platform revenue. So the, I think you, you mentioned it, but there's player revenue and there's platform revenue. Platform revenue makes up the majority of the top line. Um, and they have been selling those players at a significant loss because they believe the lifetime value of those users, that they're going to be able to make up for that cost um, by, by generating revenue as the longer that they're on the platform. I love, I have the Roku, I have a Roku TV, I love the platform, but I have difficulty saying that it has like some significant competitive advantage over other smart TV operating systems. There's nothing really that keeps me there over peers other than they're the low-cost provider. Um, or that you already have it and it has access to everything. I mean, one yeah. of the key points, I think, is that YouTube and Netflix, the two largest apps, do not share any revenue with Roku. And I think the reason they're able to do that is because Roku doesn't have the operating leverage where, say, they said, okay, no Netflix or, or YouTube on... Um, Negotiating leverage. Yeah, negotiating leverage. Uh, no, say that they kicked off Netflix and YouTube. I personally say using a Roku device, which I have right now, could just buy an Amazon Fire TV stick for, uh, I don't know how much how they go for. Maybe Amazon basically gives them away, say $30. I plug that into my TV, basically replace the Roku, and I have access to Netflix and YouTube uh, through that. Um, that's kind of the big downside, I guess, we see. And maybe they'll be able to navigate it. Uh, the execution on the Roku channel has been strong, but that, that's kind of the big risk. Simon, uh, do you have any thoughts there? Ryan, do you have anything else? I guess the, the last thing I would say, there's there's a couple of huge tailwinds that have pretty much driven this business. One, the shift to streaming TV or, or smart TVs has been uh, basically just pushing everyone towards Roku. Second is advertisers are beginning to follow the consumers. So there's still a lot of advertisers that are going to shift over to smart TVs over time. Um, and then I guess third, the content providers are spending tons of money to develop 
basically a connected app or connected to, convince, app. to convince people to switch to streaming. So, yeah. and they're going to, they're going to pull a percentage of the revenue through subscriptions from all those. I think well, they're except in, Netflix, except not Netflix. Uh, well, maybe, maybe if everyone starts to move away from Netflix to these other options, Netflix is negotiating power might come down a bit, but so you're saying if you have to go long Roku, you might have to be bearish on Netflix. That could be. Maybe, but I think they can do well without Netflix still. Uh, but yeah. basically, there's all these tailwinds that I think are going to drive. Uh, Roku sits as the beneficiary of all those. It's really just a matter of how much are they going to be able to actually generate in cash over that time, and are they going to have to perpetually be the low-cost provider of TVs because that would be uh, a, a, sort of a downhill road, it sounds like, um, just given given how much they're losing on those already. Yeah. Simon? Yeah, it's an interesting, there were no doubt the, the innovator, right, in, uh, in streaming TV and the advertising that's attached to it. It's so interesting we talk about Netflix and Roku because they kind of shared the same genesis, right? They started from the same point. Uh, Netflix went on to go and, and do the subscription-based model and then kind of hand it off to, to Roku to pursue the advertising-based streaming. And you just, you, you, I almost think that the hardware sales become irrelevant in the near future, at least in a couple years in the future, because... TVs are getting so much smarter. They have these uh, platforms embedded directly in them. And no one needs to have the hardware that you plug in. You know, it goes right to the auxiliary jack of your, of your TV anymore. And, and it's interesting to me. I, I've seen decreasing uh, average revenue per user for Roku for several quarters. I think that goes into what you all were saying about kind of there are other options. And uh, this is an industry that's growing very quickly and innovating very quickly. And Roku was one of the very uh, first horses to break quickly out of the gate, and now it's a question of what kind of staying power does it have. So it's a good point, and it, it makes sense that perhaps uh, that the stock has suffered. Um, hit a high of $350 last October, and it's now down to about $60 today, so almost an 86% sell-off with Roku. Uh, the one that we have it up against is Shopify. Shopify is also a, a pretty common, you know, pretty well-loved name, I would say, for the most part in the stock market. Certainly getting hit, hit, 100, hit a high of $176 last year down to about $30 here today. Uh, what do you guys think about Shopify? Uh, Ryan, you wanna go first with this one? Sure, I think most people know what Shopify is, but if you don't, it's basically a, a, probably the most easy way of setting up a shop online. So basically if you, if you wanna sell goods, you wanna be a merchant that sells stuff online, you can go through Shopify and sort of build a custom website. It, I guess you could call them uh, software as it's a CMS provider, so content management system provider. And so some of the companies they compete with are like Wix, Squarespace, I guess GoDaddy. Um, Big Commerce, uh, some others. Yeah, but they really are the best platform if you're exclusively a merchant. So if you're just trying to sell goods online, I think they have the best tools for you to do that. However, as of late, I get, well, for one, E-commerce sales kind of went through the roof during COVID and there is this hangover that we've all talked about and it's kind of reverted a little bit, which has hurt Shopify's business. But additionally, um, I think this buy with prime option that's being rolled out to a bunch of CMS providers could be really detrimental to Shopify's business. I know some people think otherwise, but if I'm a merchant and I'm able to give my customers the ability to get delivery through Amazon's fulfillment network where it takes one or two days if you're a prime member. And uh, it's free or no additional charge. I think those, pay, I 
I'm definitely going to offer that. And if I'm a customer, I'm definitely going to take that, which means a lot of the payment volume is not going to be going through Shopify. It's going to be going through Amazon. So, yeah. And the, the key thing for Shopify is the majority of the revenue is payments. So it's the biggest risk for them compared to, it's kind of a, uh, like it's a downside for them executing so well with their payments platform or product over the last few years is that it's such a large part of their revenue now that if buy with prime comes, it could take some share. However, I mean, it's going to take years for buy with prime to take some share. Um, so yeah. it's just the, the big thing that concerns me, I think with Shopify outside of the buy with prime over the long run is their margins are not that high. And the price today of the stock is still, fairly i mean it's not like super expensive anymore but i think the price to gross profit which is kind of maybe a good metric for them is still above 12 i think it's 13 to 14 range that is implying we need you know we still need some high growth here and i just wonder we, we i don't know we, we still need like say 20 percent top line growth for for a considerable time period even at this fall in stock price and it gives me a little bit of pause i mean the execution at shopify has been phenomenal they're clearly the best e-commerce provider uh, where you're not like, uh, you know, outside of Amazon where you have Amazon is selling uh, themselves. I think people understand the difference there, but I think that's all I had to say. Simon, any thoughts on Shopify before we I go to the head? head, head. I don't really know if I have anything else I can add other than just, you know, it is kind of split between the subscription and the transactional revenue. And I think the market is a little concerned about um, with everything going on with the economy, you know, there's, talk about recession, everything's tough for anybody that's doing e-commerce, are the transactions going to be lower? And should you get that same premium valuation like Shopify has enjoyed for so many years? Great points. Yeah. yeah the other the other thing that concerns me is I don't see a world where Shopify's fulfillment ever really rivals Amazon's. And it seems like they're investing to do that, which given how much Amazon invests themselves and, and how robust their fulfillment is already, I'm afraid that a lot of the cash is going to go towards competing with Amazon as opposed to what Shopify is already really good at, which is serving merchants and providing value to them um, through intuitive website building. Right. Could be a waste. Yeah. Yeah. Just where does that cash end up going? It's kind of my big, my big lingering question. Okay, Ryan, I'll start with you first on this one. Uh, let's go with Roku first. One to 10. Where are you on the, on the, on the completely Random scale we came up for this game. One, one to ten. What, uh, what are you scoring? Roku. Ryan used to be I, a huge lover of Roku, but I'm saying it's going to be lower now. Uh-oh. Yeah. I uh, used to own shares like four years ago. ended up selling it, which was like not – it was not me foreseeing anything. I just needed the money, and so I like sold it, and it ended up being great timing. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a five. I'm like completely torn. I, I love the platform. But I have some worries about any whether or not they actually have any real competitive advantages. Yeah, I'm going to go with the cop out five as well, right down the oh. middle. Um, I think there's opportunity here. If I'm looking at, and again, price to gross profit is not perfect, but the price to gross profit is say five to six right now, trailing. I mean, if they put up just some steady growth and regain that operating leverage we were seeing the last couple of years before they had those major headwinds with the hardware costs, there's a world where, you know, there it's the path to, I think, generating nice profits and cash flow for shareholders is not out of the question. However, the only thing that makes it, gives me concern is just the competitive landscape. Fair enough, Brett. And how about Shopify? Where do we stand on Shopify? 
Look, I think it's a better business than Roku, but the valuation just gives me pause. I'm a big, um, I, I know this is not, you know, everyone's cup of tea, but uh, me and Ryan are big, you know, uh, uh, don't overpay, I guess, investors. Uh, we focus I think a we've lot. learned the hard way. And we've learned the hard way uh, in that regard, yes. Uh, not like we've, yeah, I think everyone does. Um, so I think that's just going to make it a bit lower for me, probably a three just because I still think it's expensive and the looming competitive threat with Bios Prime makes me nervous. I think it's just going to keep me away. That, 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 those two things will keep me away. I'll go five and a half. Oh, uh, pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> slightly above Roku. I think it's a better business. Um, I think it has much better uh, competitive advantages i guess aside from one thing and that's the the buy with prime uncertainty I, it just like it's this lingering uncertainty that makes me makes it really difficult to forecast how much uh shop file generate in revenue because obviously it can take away a big chunk of their payments so uh for that reason i'll go five and a half and for that reason i'm out yeah <laughs> the decibels we are not just going with discrete numbers for the <laughs> okay so so that gives a roku of an average score of five uh shopify a 4.25 average score with, with ryan's unique scoring there so I, I think you guys like roku in the second round as the as two of those yeah all right roku's the winner roku is okay. uh yeah i forced it to be the winner by game of shopify the low score <laughs> Well, guys, it's been a little depressing talking about the stock price declines we've been discussing. You know, so many of them have been down so much over the last year. Let's talk in this third category about stocks that are actually higher in 2022 than they were on December 31st of 2021. These are stocks that are up uh, for the for the calendar year in 2022. Uh, this is going to be Lockheed Martin versus Costco. A lot of people would call these more defensive picks, at least compared to several others that you can buy out there. Uh, what do you guys think about maybe Lockheed Martin first? Lockheed Martin is... I'm going to need you to talk about well, this. I don't know super well. I mean, they, they, they like I don't have the notes in front of me, but they do, you know, defense contracting within the space, aerospace, and a few other categories. They make a lot of the fighter jets, and they also have this huge research Area. I mean, look, they're a giant defense contractor that had been around there for, for decades and decades. Uh, and the industry has consolidated over the years. And Lockheed, look, they have basically one customer, and that is the U.S. government. But that relationship has been reliable over the years. Here's an example. My uh, A family member of mine works for the U.S. Navy. And when I went and visited their offices... They had a lot. Lockheed Martin had a separate office at their office, like, uh, like you know, like a separate area for them. So right, right, yep. it is, seems to me that it's, and that's just one example of the embedded nature of these relationships between the contractors and the U.S. government. Seems like it'd be pretty hard to replace Lockheed Martin from the government. So for that reason, and we can go over the kind of cheaper valuation. It's I, I, I like the company quite a bit. Um, I know Seven Investing covers it. Uh, uh, I forget who. Matt Cochran, yeah, he, he's been one of the ones that's covered it. They have a great capital returns program. The share count has steadily gone down, and they pay out a solid dividend. Um, and if we're looking at, I guess we can talk. We'll talk valuation later, and kind of because Costco is a good business as well. But we'll talk maybe, yeah, valuation and why Lockheed might be a little bit more event, uh, Just, attractive yeah. than than Costco. To paint some numbers, so you talked about that buyback. Um, Revenue over the last 10 years has 
only grown by 30%. So it's been really, uh, but, it, but it's been steady growth. It's just like very incremental uh, uh, revenue growth each year. Free cash flow per share is up 200% roughly uh, in that same time period. So it's drastically outpaced. Uh, I do not know, aside from reading a few articles about them, uh, obviously they seem very, very stable and it's one that the US government has a vested interest in them doing well, which I generally tend to like those businesses. Um, it seems, uh, pun actually intended, bulletproof. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like Lockheed Martin. I haven't done enough work as far as like understanding the valuation and. No, yeah, now the, the, the main risk, and this probably is a long term only, uh, because even if the world like, even if the world goes into a recession and we've seen the war, you know, stuff creep up um, and materialize, uh, especially in the Ukraine. You know, and that's probably why Lockheed stock is up this year. Is they, they'll do well in that environment because they have, you know, they'll be suppliers for uh, the United States and their allies. But there's a lot of bureaucracy at Lockheed that has been complained about, and the cost overruns and all that good stuff. And there's been some startups that are kind of, you know, expanded. There's Andrewil, oh gosh, and it's A N D U R I L or something like that, started by I forget his name, but. There, there's been some defense tech startups recently that have done quite well, and they're winning some contracts. And I kind of, if I'm an investor in Lockheed, yeah, you know, that company, you know, these startups aren't going to win the F-35 contract anytime soon. But we could see some incremental contract wins from some of these places that are getting investments from, you know, venture capital firms are investing heavily into this now. And I think that's probably the main risk I'm looking at if uh, I'm looking at Lockheed Martin. Yeah, it certainly is defensive, pun intended, uh, purposely. Yeah. I mean, this is a company that, you know, $67 billion in revenue last year. It is so embedded, like you said, with the U.S. government. It's almost impossible to displace. And it knows what it can price the contracts at, you know, captures about $8 billion of that as free free cash flow. After paying all its capital expenses, all the operating expenses of the business, it's still turning out about 13% free cash flow margin. And then it's using that to reward its shareholders through dividends, and through share repurchases, about 50-50 on both of those. So you know what you're getting into, you know, and when times are tough, uh, the military doesn't want to stop making fighter jets. So it certainly is a, is a you know, a safer play, if, if, you, if we can call it that, especially during times of contraction of the government, I mean, of the, of the economy. Yeah. All right, maybe Costco, uh, a little bit this little is more the one, lighthearted. Yeah, this is the one that I think everyone knows, right? Um, is it hard to explain? It's one of the best businesses. They, they make money through those, you know, memberships and they sell things at really low prices in giant bulk at the warehouses. And they have a lock on the families uh, across the United States and a growing part uh, of the globe who are trying for a cost effective way to, you know, feed, especially, you know, people that have kids, a cost effective way to feed them. And there's also other perks as well that attracts members to join and retain their Costco memberships, the food core with the, you know, inexpensive stuff, the inexpensive gasoline that they sell much cheaper than any other uh, station. I'm forgetting other stuff okay. as well, but. Well, they paint it this way. Right? Go, what? Ahead. go ahead, Simon, sorry. They still got the $1.50 hot dog, right? They said they're Exactly. That's the big pull in the food court. I mean, that people may, you know, that, that's sort of people say that in a joking manner, but the, that's part of the, a small incremental reason why people come back to Costco. And while they're there, they'll spend a lot of money at the store. And yeah, Costco sells most things at, at cost. 
Um, but they're making the money through the retention of the memberships and the growing of the memberships and the potential pricing power once they eventually raise those membership prices. Okay. Simon, are you a Costco member? Uh, not anymore, but I have been in the past. Mm. Uh, we're uh, not. Of the well, that actually or Costco or was, Ryan has access to one, right? Me, Family me, one? Yeah. Brett and I have deliberated over this on several occasions, but what do you think is the most valuable membership that you pay for? Uh, definitely the free samples when you walk through the aisles. Yeah, what about no, like, no. any subscription, like in your in your daily life? What yeah, Disney Plus for us, no doubt about it. With- oh, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I can tell you have uh, some potentially younger kids, maybe that like to watch shows over and over. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, <laughs> shows too. Exactly. <laughs> I think I would say Costco, and I think a lot of people would say that because it just saves a ton of money across the board. Um, and, and yeah, it really has been one of those like all stakeholders win, investors win, employees win. Uh, I guess customers have won also, and it, it feels like there's no real way to disrupt it. Um, if if I had to bet on a company to be around in thirty years, which is like obviously a really long time horizon, it's de- it, it's probably up there. I, I don't know. I, you you kind of ca- captured most of the business proposition, but yeah. The I mean, do we want to move into the head to head? Maybe talk about. The, I mean, these both seem like good businesses, but the big difference for me is the valuation now. Uh, I like to look at usually price to free cash flow, but for some reason, and I'm just looking at the reference here, so I didn't calculate it myself, but this, this is just like one of the data aggregators. Uh, so Costco's price to free cash flow is a little bit inflated. I think that's probably just a timing issue. So I'm going to look at price to earnings, which I think is probably fine for both of these businesses. If we look at Costco's PE, it is still 37. And if we look at Lockheed's, it is only 23.2. And Lockheed's price to free cash flow, so the conversion, you know, is higher. Their price to free cash flow is actually only fourteen point seven. Um, so I think that just seals the deal with me. Costco, yeah, there's embedded pricing power in there. They could probably raise their, you know, they could raise their memberships a good amount, um, and they will eventually, and that'll flow through all to the bottom line. But Lockheed is so cheap and still a quality business that I think that it wins the magic for me. What's your What's your score? Well, what's my score? Oh, okay, we'll move to the score. I think Lockheed. I'll put a Put an eight. I put Costco just because of the price at, at, at a six. It's just it's expensive for a low grower. That, that's just right. I mean, the, the business doesn't grow that quickly. I think that the P is might be eating your words here in a second. Let me uh, pull this up. But I, I think you're going to be uh, disappointed to see that revenue growth number. It's not <laughs> annual annualized <laughs> revenue growth. I can pull it up right now. Revenue growth. Sorry, Simon, go ahead and while we'll... Oh, okay, I'm just making sure I got it correct. Eight for Lockheed and six for Costco from you, Brett. I'm curious what your scoring would be too, Ryan. Oh. Hmm. All right, so free cash flow per share for Costco. Yeah, it's really hasn't been too crazy. Uh, well, I think the, the cash flow might be a little bit different. We look at revenue growth quarter over yearly, year-over-year growth. It's never been above 20%. And it's typically hovered around the six percent to twelve percent range historically, and it's a little bit—it's elevated recently. But let me look at the ten-year. 
that income is up 200% yeah. over the last five years. So assuming that one of those we haven't really dug in is a good proxy for earnings. Um, uh, it seems like Costco has been the quicker grower. I think if I had to bet Costco was, would probably grow quicker between the two over the next five years, assuming uh, no. That's fair. Yeah. No, like horrible uh, war breaks out and people really need to fund Lockheed Martin. I would think Costco would grow. Uh, a little quicker. I'm going to go with uh, sevens for both. No, you're not allowed to do sevens. Mm, all right. They're both equal in my mind. You really think Lockheed's equal? Costco, 37 PE. That's high. That's very high. For a company that... I remember reading the stat. I think Todd Wenning first put it out. That between 2000 and 2010, you could have bought Costco above 30 times at any time. If you bought Costco at above 30 times earnings, you would have beaten the market still over like the following 10 year period. Yeah. Well, it's not 2002 to 2010. I, 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 uh, I think the future will look a lot like the last 10 years for Costco. All right. So what's the, so eight versus seven. So we're splitting. Seven. Well, we're splitting, we're splitting, we're splitting. You're going to do six for Lockheed? Sure. Yeah. Seven if I could. What? Okay. Six. <laughs> Ryan's trying to cheat. about way to get there. And an eight for Costco? Was it an eight for Costco, Ryan? Did I get that right? So we tied. We tied here. Yeah. So, okay. So we've got a, a right down the middle split. Um, goodness, guys. Are you going to do a tiebreaker? How are we going to figure out between Lockheed and Costco? <laughs> well, you got to check back in uh, oh, God, uh, three years and see what stock does better. And we'll we'll follow up on that one. Yeah, yeah. great. So, so to recap, you know, we kind of went with three different categories for the game here. Uh, the first we called stocks are down 90% or more, Peloton versus Upstart. Peloton uh, had an average of 3.5 was the average for that one, and Upstart we gave an average of 5. In the second, the fallen pandemic winners, we had Roku versus Shopify. Uh, we had Shopify at 4.25 and Roku at 5. And then here at Lockheed versus Costco, Still a dead tie between the two, right at seven. I think that's a perfect number for a seven investing podcast. We're going to follow up and, and come up with a tiebreaker going forward for these. Any final thoughts, guys, as we wrap up the game? A lot of stocks we talked about here today. Uh, uh, this is this was fun. I would say uh, I don't think – I think of the, the six we talked about today, the two that it, we, we probably know really well are Roku and Shopify. The rest of them were a little off the cuff. So if uh, if we got any shareholders out there of any of these businesses. If any, yeah, we could have gotten a few things wrong there. It's just kind of a fun discussion. Feel but, free to give us a hard time. Yeah. But either way, right now is a great time to be uh, investigating stocks. Lots of deals out there, uh, I think. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people would agree. So whatever, even if it's not these six stocks, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of a lot of good research going out. Some investing, you know, we do, we do, we do some stuff as well. Um, so, yeah. I think that's it. Well, well, share your thoughts on how you would scare, how you would score these companies personally at Seven Investing. They're on Twitter or info at Seven Investing if you'd like to send us an email. And if you go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe and use promo code money, you get the best deal of all, which is $100 off of our annual rate. Uh, Brent and Ryan, we've been partners for years. You know, it's always been a pleasure having you on our podcast. Thanks again for being here with me this afternoon. Yeah, thank, thank you, Simon. Appreciate it. Pleasure to join. And a reminder for everyone that you can also listen to Brett and Ryan more often in their own podcast. That's Chit Chat Money. If you want to follow along with them, they provide some excellent, excellent 
uh, and thorough analysis on several stocks in the stock market today. That's a wrap for today's episode of the 7 Investing Podcast. My name is Simon Erickson. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.